there is an abuse of the law and a right use of the law. We have been learning about the abuse of the law in the first three chapters of Galatians. Now Paul wants us to understand the right use of the law. If the law cannot produce righteousness, Galatians 2.21, if the law cannot make us holy, Galatians 3.1-6, if the law only curses us, Galatians 3.10, and if the law is inferior to the promise, Galatians 3.15-18, then why do we have the law? What's the purpose of the law? That is a very logical question to ask, and it is exactly the question that Paul raises in Galatians 3.19. Many people today argue that we need to abolish the law. Moral absolutes, rules about right and wrong, and judgments about morality stigmatize people. Moralism inhibits our freedoms. Laws lead to guilt and shame, so we should do away with laws because they serve no good purpose. Paul says, not so fast. The law perfectly performs its purpose. Moral absolutes do their job. God did not make a mistake when he instituted the law. Law and promise are not contradictory principles. They are complementary principles, as long as we understand that law and promise serve different purposes. The law perfectly performs its purposes, but those purposes are different than the purposes of promise. We must be careful to explain the purposes of the law so that we can use it and not abuse it. Paul identifies two purposes for the law in these verses in Galatians 3. The first purpose the purpose of the law is to promote sin, Galatians 3, 19 and 20. The purpose of the law is to promote sin. You say, well, wait a minute, Dave. This is contrary to my understanding of law. I thought the law was given to restrain sin, not promote it. Well, you are thinking just like the legalizers when you say that. The conviction of the legalizers was that the purpose of the law was to restrain sin. But Paul is rather bold in his assertion that the purpose of the law is to promote sin. Now I know that what I am saying is counterintuitive. Moralism, legalism, has a long history in every society. Moralism says that if we want a moral world, we must have laws to enforce moral codes. Laws will make a society righteous, according to moralism. God knows that moralism is not true because God understands the depravity of humanity. Law-keeping never made anyone righteous. So let's unpack Paul's argument about the law in these verses. How does the law promote sin? How does the law promote sin? 
Paul writes in Galatians 3, verse 19, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. So the law was added 430 years after God's promise to Abraham, and it was an addition by God because of transgressions. The expression is somewhat ambiguous. What does Paul mean by that statement? Theologians have debated this verse for centuries. The Greek preposition can either indicate the reason or the goal. I think the expression, because of transgressions, indicates the goal of God in adding the law, and is better translated, for the purpose of transgressions. The word translated transgressions is not the normal word used here for sin in the New Testament. The word Paul uses here means a violation of a standard or missing the target. In order for someone to violate a standard, you must have a standard to violate. For someone to miss the target, you must have a target to miss. God added the law to promise to create a standard or a target. Therefore, the law turns sin into a violation of a standard. The law defines sin as missing the target. In other words, the law promotes sin as a transgression. The first way that the law promotes sin is that the law promotes the knowledge of sin. The law promotes the knowledge of sin. The law identifies sin as a transgression of God's law. The law identifies sin as missing the target. Without a target, you cannot know if you've missed the target because there's no standard of measurement. Once you have a standard of measurement, you can see your failures. You can know that you missed the target. Paul says in Romans 3.20, Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In Romans 4.15, Paul tells us, Where there is no law there also is no violation. The law provokes the violation. Take the sixth commandment in the Decalogue. You shall not murder. Well, murder was always sin, but now it is a transgression. The Ten Commandments codified sin. The law turns sin into a violation of a standard. So the law acts like a spotlight that illuminates our sin. As long as we are in the dark, our faces don't look too dirty. But the closer we get to the light, the more we see our dirt. So the law promotes a knowledge of sin. And the law promotes a desire to sin. The law promotes a desire to sin. We know that the law reveals sin. That makes sense. But Paul argues that the law provokes or stimulates our appetite for sin because we are sinful beings. The law can actually increase our desire for sin by denying us whatever that sinful activity is. 
Paul's letter to the Romans is his own commentary on what he wrote in Galatians. And in Romans 5.20, we read, The law came in so that the transgression would increase. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. Now, that's a shocking statement to the moralist who believes that the law can create morality. But Paul expands that thought in Romans 7, verses 5 through 10, where he writes, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, the sin became alive, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. So sin, our moral depravity, uses the law to provoke sin in us. You can see this process at work in our everyday lives. Suppose I am driving down a long, straight stretch of deserted highway, and I see a speed limit sign that reads 25 miles per hour. The more often they put up speed limit signs saying 25 miles per hour, the more irritated I become, and the more I want to disobey that law. There's no one there. Putting up a no-parking sign in a prime location makes me want to park there. You tell your children that they can play with all their toys, but don't get into daddy's tools or mommy's sewing machine, and what is it that they want to play with? A group of boys will pass by an apple tree full of apples without a second thought. But if you put up a big sign that says, Do not pick the apples, they'll be right there picking a few apples. What is there about signs that tell us not to walk on the grass that incite our desire to walk on the grass? I noticed a bumper sticker that read, Don't tell me what kind of day to have. We saw all of this play out during the coronavirus pandemic. People rebelled against the mask and vaccine mandates and the social distancing rules simply because the government created those rules. Don't tell me what to do. I have my rights. Rules incite rebellion in us. Mandates provoke revolts. Why? Why is this? Well, I will tell you what it is. It is human nature. It is sin provoked by law to increase our sinfulness. In fact, that is the purpose of the law. So the law does its job 
perfectly. Now, before we leave this point, however, I want you to notice that the law is temporary. So it is inferior to promise for that reason as well. And in verses 19 and 20, Paul is answering the question, how long does the law promote sin? How long? He writes, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. The law promotes sin until, only until the coming of Jesus Christ, the seed. Jesus Christ brought in the promise of spiritual righteousness apart from the law. Paul wrote in Romans 10.4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ ended the law as a way of life for those trying to achieve righteousness by their performance. Christ ends the law when he institutes the Spirit as the way we live our lives. The promise of the Holy Spirit producing righteousness in us is central to Paul's whole argument here. Jesus planted the Holy Spirit in us so that we might live for him. Paul will develop this point later in Galatians. But Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. In John Bunyan's classic tale, Pilgrim's Progress, he tells about the time when the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him into a very large parlor where everyone was covered in dust. Thick, thick layers of dust were everywhere. The interpreter calls for a man to come and sweep the dust away, but as he sweeps the dust, fills the room, so the Christian soon is choking in the dust that is flying all about him as the sweeper sweeps. Then the interpreter calls for a woman to bring water and sprinkle it on the dust, and after that the room is swept clean without a problem at all. The interpreter then explains the meaning to Christian. The parlor is the heart of man, and the dust is his sin. The sin has corrupted him, but lies still in his heart until the law comes along. The sweeper is the law that condemns us, but instead of cleansing the heart, actually revives and increases sin in our souls. Sin comes to life in a choking swirl because of the law, the sweeper. The water is the regenerating power of the Spirit of God to clean us up by God's grace. So the law was inferior to the promise of, of God because the law was mediated by man and angels. That's what Paul goes on to argue here. Moses was the mediator on Mount Sinai, but Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. Now, verse 20 is a very difficult verse to interpret. There are an estimated 430 interpretations of this verse. And I'm not going to bore you with 430 interpretations. Instead, I'm just going to give you the right one. <laughs> the point Paul is making is very simple. 
he tells us that the law came through human mediators, and mediators are always used when the agreement is between two parties. You need a mediator between those two parties. In the case of the law, Moses mediated between God and Israel. However, promise is very different. God alone walked between the carcasses to establish a promise, a covenant to Abraham. God alone made a covenant of promise in Christ. And God is not many, God is one. God made a covenant with himself. God made a covenant with God to save us. He gave himself to save us for himself. And that is why promise is superior to law. Promise is all about God. It is not about us. We do nothing to earn the promise of salvation. We enjoy salvation by grace alone. The purpose of the law is to promote sin, and the law perfectly performs its purpose. It curses us, as Paul said in Galatians 3.10. The law acts like a magnifying glass on our sin, and that is why the more we focus on God's laws and standards, the more miserable and guilt-ridden we become. Should we then stop preaching the law? No, no, of course not. We must simply understand that the law increases sin. It cannot pardon sin. The law brings guilt. It produces shame. It does not bring forgiveness and reconciliation. So a person comes to me saying, I am a no-good sinner, I'm worthless and miserable, I do all these bad things, and the more I study the Bible, the worse I feel, so I don't want to study the Bible. But my response is, good, good, you are absolutely right. The law is perfectly performing its purpose, the more miserable you feel. I feel the same way about myself. My friends, that person is ready to accept grace when they have given up on law. They are ready for the gospel, the good news about life in Christ. So the first purpose of the law is to promote sin. And secondly, the purpose of the law is to imprison sinners. The purpose of the law is to imprison sinners Verses 21 and 22. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, imprisoned people under sin, shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. A mythical hunter who was out hunting in the woods finally met a bear. As the hunter raised his rifle to shoot, the bear called out, Can't we talk this thing over like civilized beings? 
Surprised, the hunter lowered his rifle and asked, What's to talk over? The bear came closer and said, Well, for example, why do you want to shoot me? The hunter replied, I want a fur coat. The bear quickly responded, Well, that's fine. All I want is a good breakfast. I'm sure that we can work this out in a sensible fashion if you will put down your rifle. So the hunter and the bear sat down to work out an agreement. After a while, the bear got up all alone. They had reached a sensible compromise. The bear had secured his breakfast and the hunter was wearing his fur coat. The law is like that bear. You do not negotiate with the law. If you try to live by the law, then it will absorb you. It will control you. The law will eat you up. The purpose of the law is to control you. The law is a jailkeeper, and the purpose of a jailkeeper is to keep you in jail. The purpose of the law is to imprison sinners in the jailhouse of their sin, to shut up everyone under sin, Paul wrote. The law imprisons sinners for life, in verse 21. The law shuts up everyone under sin. Paul will add in verse 23 that we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Perhaps we might say that the law sentences us to life imprisonment. This is a critically important verse for understanding the law in Scripture. The point is simply that the law never could and never will impart spiritual life. The law only condemns the actions of spiritually dead people. It will never make them spiritually alive. There is a basic spiritual principle here that has, of course, many applications. The principle is this. Laws cannot change lives. Laws cannot change lives. You can be the most moral, law-abiding person in the whole world, but obedience will not give you spiritual life. We abuse the law when we try to reform people by the law. This is the great problem with our modern love affair with self-help programs. Self-help programs can do many things, but they cannot impart life to dead people. Many support groups and 12-step programs are just more attempts to attain spiritual life by laws unless they are founded on faith in Christ. We use the law properly when we use it to condemn sin and imprison sinners, to shut them up in custody until they come to faith in Christ. I sometimes wonder if we don't hinder the work of the law in sinners' lives by our sympathy toward their sin. We try to alleviate guilt so that people can climb out of their prisons by self-help methods. When someone comes to us and confesses sin, do we quickly say to that person, Oh, that's all right, that's okay. You're not really as bad as you think. Don't worry about that little failure. You just made a mistake. Instead, we ought to say to people, 
you're right. You have sinned. And here's what the Bible says about your sin. Now, what can be done about it? What's the solution? Then we can lead them through the steps of repentance and faith to Jesus Christ, who is the solution to the sin problem. It always comes to Christ. In other words, we must not minimize sin if we are to maximize grace. A person will never understand grace until he understands sin. The purpose of the law is to promote our sinfulness so that we run to his grace. The law should drive us to grace. The law imprisons sinners for promise, Paul says in verse 22. The law imprisons sinners for promise. The Phillips translation of verse 22 reads, The scripture has all men imprisoned for their sins because they are found guilty by law that to men in such condition the promise might come to release all who believe in Jesus Christ. Is the law contradictory to promise? No, of course not. Absolutely not. The law is not contradictory to promise because both come from God. The law is complementary to promise. Law, in fact, serves the purpose of pointing people to the promise. Law imprisons sinners in a prison with only one exit, faith in Jesus Christ. All other exits out of the prison are spiritual illusions or delusions. Imagine a great dungeon with many, many rooms and corridors. The dungeon is full of people who are constantly fighting with one another. It is filthy and dark. The jailer is a miserable man. All he does is scream rules at you all day long, trying to control the inmates. They are laws that no one obeys. Do not do this, do not do that, scream at you from every side. The stench of sin is everywhere. Guilt and shame rule this dark world. People try to climb the walls, but no one ever succeeds in escaping this prison, this dungeon. Every so often, the jailer shines a bright light down which reminds everyone how dirty they are, how bad they look. Consequently, everyone tries to avoid the spotlight. You try to hide in the shadows whenever you see that light, for anything is better than seeing yourself as dirty as you really are. So you hide from the light. But eventually, you follow the light along a corridor until you come to an open door. You're shocked. There is a way out, but no one seems to be going out the door. You approach the door and realize that no one guards the exit. But to go through the door, you must enter the light and see your dirt exposed by that light. You are ashamed by your dirtiness, but determined to walk through that door and be exposed. You look out the door and see that it opens into a deep chasm that has no bottom. 
Across that chasm is a single plank of wood, and a man in shining robes offers to help you across to the other side. On the other side is freedom and beauty and happiness. You can see people dressed in beautiful clothes, clean and prosperous and happy. You look back at the corridors filled with laws and filth. You look out at the deep chasm and realize that in some ways that prison looks safe compared to that small plank across the chasm. The prison is what you know. You're used to it. The plank is not. You stand there in the open doorway pondering your decision. Tentatively, you take the man's hand and you start to walk across that narrow plank. My friends, the law has fulfilled its purpose. The law can take you no farther. It drives you to faith in Jesus Christ by imprisoning you in a prison with only one exit. Only faith can take you across the chasm and give you new life. Why, Christian? Why? After having crossed that plank, would you ever return to the dark prison of laws and guilt and shame? Why would you ever go back? What about you who stand at the edge of that plank today? Will you take that step or return to the misery of the prison? The law perfectly performs its purpose. The law promotes sin, and the law imprisons sinners. As such, it drives people to faith in Jesus Christ as their only hope for salvation. An evangelist named Eddie Martin tells the story about a lady he met many years ago in an evangelistic meeting in Bluefield, West Virginia. She was a well-dressed lady who came forward when he gave the invitation to trust Christ. He took the lady's hand and asked her to repeat this prayer after him. He prayed, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a no-good sinner. But she never said a word. She was silent. He looked up at her and said, Do you want to be saved? Do you want to become a Christian? She said, Oh, yes, Mr. Martin, I do want to be a Christian, but I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. Eddie Martin replied, Then you cannot be saved, because Jesus only died to save sinners. The lady looked serious, but Mr. Martin, I'm a good sinner. He responded, A good sinner? Lady, there are no good sinners. You will have to take your seat again. God cannot save you until you learn that you are a no-good sinner and need his forgiveness. She wouldn't give up. But, Mr. Martin, you don't understand. I'm not really a bad sinner. Eddie Martin told her to go back and sit down. But she wouldn't let go of his hand. And finally she looked up and said, Oh, please forgive me, God. I know I'm a no-good sinner. I do need Christ to forgive me of my sins. Eddie Martin looked at her and said, Wonderful lady, now you are ready to do business with God. <laughs>
my friends, are you ready to do business with God?